have your copy of God's Word, would you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3? That's 1 Peter chapter 3. I'll be reading verses 10 through 12. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Well, you're going to think that the idea is ambitious. And you may even go farther than that. You may think the idea is impossible, but it isn't. What we're going to study this morning is how to make every day a great day. How to make every day a great day. And I suspect all of us can say sometimes something like this. Preacher, you don't know what days are like for me. I have known loneliness, I have known grief, and I have known pain virtually every day for a long time now. You don't know about the people I have to work with and what a rotten environment that is. You don't know about the type of family life I have to endure and how hard it can be. First Peter is a book about glorifying God through our faith and hope and love in the midst of a hostile world. First Peter is all about glorifying God through faith, hope, and love while we live in a hostile environment. As a matter of fact, there's five chapters in First Peter and all five of them deal with Christians suffering because of things that are going on in the world. And yet, it is the very section of Scripture that was read in part in our Scripture reading by Bill Marshall this morning that talks about how to make every day a great day. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3 and let's focus on verses 8 through 12. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. This book is written to a group of people who are suffering for their faith. Remember, if any man suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but rather let him glorify God in this behalf. 1 Peter 4, 16. That the trying of your faith being more precious than gold. 1 Peter chapter 1, 6-9. These people knew something about being able to say life is hard. And so I am convinced that what it really means 
to how to make every day a great day, whatever that means, it doesn't mean that we don't go through difficulties and times of suffering that are really hard. But when you look at 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12, it gives, it gives four guidelines for being able to make every day a great day in the way that matters most. Do I have your attention? Has the Holy Spirit got your attention? Has Jesus got your attention in His Word? Does Peter have, his, have your attention? Now, Peter would know a thing or two about not having good days. Anybody, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, is not having a good day. Anybody who denies Jesus is not having a good day. Anybody who writes this book about honoring and glorifying God, even within the context of suffering, make sure your love for Him shines bright, your faith in Him is true, and that you hope in Him. He knows something about difficulty. Four guidelines for how to make every day a great day. Guideline number one. Have a gracious attitude toward God's family. Have a gracious attitude toward God's family. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. There is a short list of five items that are all attitudinal in nature and they have something to do with how Christians relate to one another. I would go so far as to say these things really should be pulsating in the bride of Christ. It's a portrait of how God's people should treat one another. And yet sometimes there is a conspicuous lack of grace in our attitude toward one another as Christians. Note the five items. Number one, a gracious attitude toward brethren means being like-minded. Like-minded. I exhort you, Odia, and I exhort Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I exhort you also, true yoke fellow, help these women. And the rest of my fellow workers, they labored with me in the gospel. And the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Philippians 4 verses 2 and 3. To be of the same mind that they may be one even as you father are in me and I am in you. John 17, 20 through 24. That you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and judgment. 1 Corinthians 1.10 Giving diligence, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4 verse 3 The idea of being like-minded means... 
We all love God. We all want to honor and glorify God. And we all want to obey God and treat one another as part of God's family. Have a gracious attitude toward brethren. And notice verse 7. Husbands and wives are described in verse 7 of chapter 3 as being heirs together of the grace of life. And make sure you treat each other properly, uh, Peter is writing, because I don't think you'd want your prayers to be hindered. How we need to have a gracious attitude toward our brethren... Because we really are, as part of God's family, heirs together of the grace of life and not having a gracious attitude toward other Christians will hinder our prayers. Nobody here is the exception to that. It's applicable for all of us. We can't roast our brethren out of one end of our mouth and then extend the right hand of fellowship with the other. It doesn't make sense. Number two, have a gracious attitude. It lacks grace if we don't seek to have the same mind. Notice what he says, sympathy or compassion. And the idea is we have feelings for each other. Family feels For one another. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. Romans 12 and verse 15. When Jesus was around hurting people, it was not unusual at all for the Word of God to say He was moved with compassion. Matthew 9 and verse 36. Matthew 14, 14. He felt because He cared. Maybe we don't feel so much anymore. And when we don't, there is a lack of having a gracious attitude toward our brothers and sisters. You look at the passage. Third, it says brotherly love. Have a gracious attitude that shows itself in being like-minded and doing what Paul would write about in Philippians 2, 1 through 11, having the mind of Christ in being compassionate and sympathetic toward the needs of others and not having such the doors of our heart to feeling anything to a brother that's in need, 1 John 3, 17 through 19. And then he talks about brotherly love. Love one another with a pure heart fervently. 1 Peter 4, 8 and 1 Peter 1 and verse 22. Outdo one another in showing brotherly love and kindness. Romans 12, verses 9 and 10.
when we lack these attributes, we lack grace. Our attitude is not very gracious. And here's where it gets really painful. Because if we think that we can be divisive and hurtful and uncaring and lack brotherly love, we do not respond properly to the grace of God in Jesus. And a Christian, part of God's family, can put their own soul in jeopardy by such an attitude. Watch out. Number four, tender-hearted. A similar term is found in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Not callous, not distant, not standoffish, but kind-hearted. A heart that is active in showing kindness. How true that's been of Jesus. How true that ought to be of those who wear the name of Christ. Number five. Interesting it is that this is the last. Humble-minded. You might just have the word humility. You may have the word courteous, but it involves even more than that. Certainly, Christians ought to be uh, humble-minded and courteous. But wasn't a lack of humility something that Peter knew a little bit about? Wasn't that really what caused him to say, Lord, I'll never deny you though everybody else does? It's also Peter who would write later in this epistle, this letter, be clothed with humility, 1 Peter 5 and verse 5. It is James who would say, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, James 4 and verse 6, to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and He will exalt you in due season, James 4 and verse 10. If you want to make every day a great day. Have a gracious attitude toward brothers and sisters in Christ. Stop barbecuing the brethren. Secondly, if you and I would make every day a great day, notice verse 9. Have a gracious response to those who do you wrong. Have a gracious response to those who do you wrong. And verse 9 here consists of I-N-G words. Not rendering I-N-G word evil for evil. Not rendering, not giving insult for insult. Notice that what Peter through the Holy Spirit deals with y'all is this. He deals with our actions, evil for evil, 
And then he talks about words. Insult for insult. Well, if it wasn't what people did to me and it wasn't what people said to me, I'd never have any problem lashing out against them. That's exactly right. Is Jesus asking us to do anything in this passage that he has not already done? You know, the family of God consists of wonderful people, sweet people, talented people, and, yeah, peculiar people sometimes. Isn't that the, right, the truth? And yet Jesus wants us to have this attitude that's gracious toward everyone in God's family. But then he goes a step farther, Peter does, and he shows that Jesus is what this passage is all about. When Jesus had people do evil to him, did he return evil? Not returning evil for evil. You know, that's the way the world operates, though. You do something bad to me, I'll do something bad to you. Thank you, Ellie. She's not going to do something bad to Pops, and I'm grateful for that. But now... That is how the world operates. Some people, you can do good to them and it's like they spit in your face. They do evil to you. But when people do evil to us, do we return that evil with good? Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21. Jesus talked about loving and praying for your enemies. Matthew 5, 44 through 48. Luke 6, 27 and 28. That is hard, isn't it? And it says specifically in 1 Peter 2, 23 that when Jesus was reviled by others, he reviled not. When he was insulted and mistreated by others, he did not resort to that behavior and type of speech himself. Have a gracious response. Some of us are nuclear reactors rather than thoughtful responders. Some of us are heated reactors rather than thoughtful Christ-like responders. Not, and here's the idea, Brian, it is the idea of refrain from this don't do it you're not the exception I am not the exception that makes it okay to deliver evil for evil to render evil for evil insult for insult but contrary wise blessing because you have been called to receive the blessing Rather than evil for evil and insult for insult, rather, contrary-wise, in stark contrast, bless. Knowing that you will receive a blessing 
people who honor the will of Jesus will be blessed phenomenally here, but most assuredly in the hereafter. Now look at verses 10 through 12. You want to make every day a great day. How to make every day your best day. Have a gracious attitude toward God's family. Have a gracious response to people, whether they are Christians or whether they're not, who do what is evil and speak of you insultingly. And think about how you're simply in the company of Christ. You're in the company of Paul. You're in the company of those that have loved and sought to be faithful to Jesus throughout the years. But here's number three. Have a gracious standard. Verses 10 and 11 of 1 Peter 3. Have a gracious standard. It's at this point, Peter quotes from Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16. Psalm 34, 12 through 16. Keep that in mind. And he says, he that would love life and see good days. Here's the desire. You really want to love life and see good days. You want to have good days now and you want to have good days throughout the rest of your life and into eternity. He that would love life and see good days. And then there's actions. This desire. I got an idea that not everybody wants to love life and see good days. You know what? There's some people that are just like the wise man in Ecclesiastes that says, I hate life. I hate life. I don't think that worked out so well for the wise man in Ecclesiastes. We probably need to think about life and how to love life even when we suffer and even when things do not go the way we'd like for them to go. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Brother Jeff, I don't want to say anything that would make my God unhappy with me. I want to refrain my tongue from evil in all of those ways that I can speak wrongly. I don't want to speak wrongly. By your words you'll be justified. By your words you'll be condemned. We will give an account for every idle word. Matthew 12, 34 through 37. And lips that they speak no guile. And the idea is I don't lie. I don't twist what is right to suit my purposes. Set a door, a watch over my mouth, my lips. Psalm 141 and verse 3. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Colossians 4 and verse 6. 
Let no corrupt speech proceed out of your mouth, but such as is useful to edification, Ephesians 4.29. And then he goes on to say, Notice the word of God. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him turn away from evil and do good. There are some times that we have to take evasive action. Swerve. Get out of the way. I recall when Cherie and I were driving just a few uh, days back, going and, uh, toward, toward the, uh, s- some function. Out in the middle of the interstate, there is a huge metallic item. And if I hit it, it's going to cause all kinds of problems. You ever hit something that, was some- that just come out of somebody's back? Maybe uh, the back of a truck or the trunk? You have to take evasive action and try to be defensive and try to be mature and safe. And the idea is you and I should eschew evil. That's the old translation and it's really good. Swerve. Shun. Get on the other side of. And do good. The golden rule. Whatever you would that others do to you, do to them. What would God want me to do? That's what I should desire to do. Let him seek peace and pursue it. It's interesting how some Christians can be far more interested in the politics of this country than they are in the spiritual principles that will save their souls and get them home to God forever. I'm not saying we shouldn't love this country and be concerned about it and pray for it. But I'll tell you what, Peter was writing to a group of people that were going to endure more difficulty and suffering, and I think we may be talking to a group of people today that are probably going to have to, I'm going to have to say, we may need to get used to enduring some suffering and trouble. But it still doesn't mean that every day can't be a great day if we've come to be more like Christ. Seek peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. He gives perfect peace. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. His peace He leaves with us. John 14, 27. Seek peace and pursue it. Be chasing it. Be hunting it. Make it something that you prize. Peace with God and peace from God. Notice what happens. He has a gracious standard. Scripture. And he deals with Psalm 34. Now take a minute and turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34 talks about how to live so as to love life and see good days here. But notice how it begins. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be found in my mouth. Verse 1. 
Look at verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. These verses kind of sound familiar. Look, if you will, at verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Look, if you will, when he talks about crying out to the Lord and he hears me and saves me. Look at verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Notice verse 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord knows how to deliver us from them all. It's this psalm that Peter thinks about when he says, here is how we can make every day a great day. He turns to this psalm and he says, Jesus practiced it unbelievably well. Shouldn't those of us who belong to the Lord? Now, Every scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God might be complete and thoroughly furnished unto every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. God's word is an authoritative standard and we need to live according to the gracious standard he's given. The word of his grace, Acts 20, 32. The gospel of the grace of God, Acts 20 and verse 24. People that have other standards, you're not living up to my standards. Well, guess what? I got a higher standard than yours to live up to. A nobler and better standard. The church can sometimes be full of critics. But we don't have to worry so much about criticism so long as we please the one that created us, redeemed us, and will take us home. Galatians 1.10 Next, and finally. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. Have a gracious motivation or incentive. Why are we talking about having a gracious attitude and a gracious response to people that may be abusive or mistreat us? Why are we talking about having a gracious standard? Because we need to have a gracious motivation every day. For, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. And the ears of the Lord are open to their prayers. How we should long for God to look down on us from above and see us and smile and say, Mine. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. Well, Lord, I struggle. Sometimes I don't know how to handle the down times in my life or the suffering or the problems. The Lord, His eyes are over the righteous and His ears are open. Imagine having God 
turning away from you when he sees you because of wickedness. And imagine having God's ears shut to you when you want to pray to him. Now, Steve, here's the idea here, and it's precious. Brother, on those times when you are so weak and tired, and should the occasion in your life ever come when you can barely speak, but you're still trying to pray, Lord, be with me and help me. If you are in that condition... The Bible assures us his ears are open and here's what's happening. God is coming down. He stoops down to hear. Have you ever done that with somebody you cared about when they were sick and hurting and all they could do is whisper? They just didn't have the strength to say it anymore. As long as the Lord is willing to stoop down and hear, that's really what matters. His ears are open to our prayers. What a motivation. What an incentive to try to make every day a great day to honor God and to glorify God. Today is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it because it is an opportunity to glorify Him whether I suffer, whether I'm mistreated, or whether everything goes marvelously as far as I might be concerned. And then notice what it says, Ron. Contrast. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I know that person is a Christian, but their behavior and their attitude is so repugnant to me. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. The face of the Lord. And so catch this. The eyes of the Lord, Adam. The ears of the Lord. The face of the Lord. I want God to see and take care of me. I want God to hear and bless me. I want the face of the Lord to not look away. But I want his face to shine upon me. Number 6, 24 through 26. And give me peace. In the Bible, an awesome book. All the pop psychology books you could ever read wouldn't give people the foundation and hope that we can see in Scripture, and especially in a passage like 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. If you're not a Christian, you need to come to Jesus and respond to His grace. All of these main ideas of the sermon have dealt with grace. Well, grace has been extended to us. How will you respond? Will you respond in trust? Will you respond in repentance? Will you respond in obedience to the gospel? Will you respond in humility and love?
for those of us who are Christians. It's astounding that sometimes we as Christians can have such sorry attitudes. Isn't that the truth? It's amazing how sometimes we think a little slap or a little thump is as if someone has just about beaten us to within an inch of our lives by way of criticism. And we're going to get them back. It's amazing how sometimes our lips could be used so wrongly when God gave them to us to speak graciously of Him and to others. Maybe there's a child of God here that needs to repent of sin. We are not a perfect people here, but we are a forgiven people, and I really believe the folks here at Westside love Jesus and care about you. I wonder why people don't respond very much anymore. Same gospel's being preached and it can still save. I suspect largely it's due to people's hardness of heart and people's pride. Hard-heartedness and pride will keep you out of the presence of God forever. Don't allow that to happen. Let us stand and sing.